Welcome to this podcast from St Mary's the University Church. With the recent guidance of the Archbishops, public worship will not be offered in the Church for the foreseeable future. But we hope that these podcasts, with their combination of word and music, will provide you with some spiritual resources over the coming days. In this podcast, we mark the fifth Sunday of Lent, often called Passion Sunday. It marks an important point of transition during the season of Lent as we begin to focus more on the events of Holy Week. In a moment, Will Lamb, our vicar, will offer a reflection on the story of the rising of Lazarus in John chapter 11. It's a passage which contains that extraordinary assurance and hope when Jesus turns to two grieving sisters and says, I am the resurrection and the life. In these difficult days, when we are confronted by our mortality, it's important for us to hold on to that central Christian insight, the hope of the resurrection. Let us pray that as we journey through this season of Lent, we may learn and relearn that it is through Christ's death and resurrection that God has delivered and saved the world. Let us pray. Most merciful God, who by the death and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, delivered and saved the world, grant that by faith in him who suffered on the cross, we may triumph in the power of his victory. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.
A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. John. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her, because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, 
my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench, because he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upwards and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. Thanks be to God. The fifth Sunday of Lent is often called Passion Sunday. It marks the beginning of Passiontide, when our thoughts are drawn to contemplate the drama of Christ's Passion, particularly his trial and crucifixion. In the Synoptic Gospels, a range of reasons for the trial of Jesus are given. For example, for Mark, it's the charge of blasphemy and the hint of insurrection, which accompanies the cleansing of the temple. Trouble for the chief priests, and trouble for Pilate as well. And of course, the narrative makes sense. There is the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, followed by the cleansing of the temple. The scene is set for conflict between Jesus and his detractors. And so the passion narrative unfolds. But John's gospel is different. There is none of that. John describes a very different sequence of events. The cleansing of the temple provides not the prelude to the Passion, but stands right at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. If there is a prelude to the Passion, then John offers us the raising of Lazarus. Lazarus is raised from the dead, and then John says this, 
Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what he had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the council and said, What are we to do? This man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and destroy both our holy place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. You do not understand that it is better for you to have one man die for the people than to have the whole nation destroyed. He did not say this on his own, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was about to die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but to gather into one the dispersed children of God. So from that day on, they planned to put him to death. Lazarus is raised from the dead, and Caiaphas prophesies that one man must die for the people. And just to reinforce the point, a few moments later, Jesus comes to the home of Lazarus, where, much to the consternation of Judas, Mary anoints Jesus with a costly perfume kept for the day of his burial. John skillfully weaves together these stories about Lazarus, about Mary and Martha, to provide a backdrop for the unfolding of his passion narrative. John records that when the great crowd of the Jews learned that he was there, they came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death as well, since it was on account of him that many of the Jews were deserting and were believing in Jesus. We sometimes miss the significance of John's account here, and yet it is important to grasp its meaning. Raymond Brown's classic commentary on John suggests that the sequence of events described by John is another instance of the pedagogical genius of the fourth gospel. While the synoptics present Jesus' condemnation as a reaction to his entire public ministry, so that we're told in Luke 19 that the people were praising Jesus because of all the mighty miracles they had seen, the fourth gospel is not satisfied with such a generalization. It's neither sufficiently dramatic nor clear-cut to say that all Jesus' miracles led to enthusiasm on the part of some and hate on the part of others. And so the writer has chosen to take one miracle and to make this the primary representative of all the mighty miracles recorded in the other Gospels. With extraordinary drama, John gives expression to the true identity of Jesus Christ. He is the resurrection and the life. And that faith and conviction changes everything. And because this forms the prelude to John's account of the Passion, we need to consider carefully the theological significance of this insight. And one of the things that I want to suggest is that the Orthodox tradition has grasped something of John's theological insight, which many modern biblical commentators may have missed. By raising Lazarus from the dead before your passion, you confirmed the universal resurrection, O Christ our God. Like the children with palms of victory, we cry out to you, O vanquisher of death. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. 
these words come from the Orthodox tradition. And in the Orthodox tradition, just before the observance of Holy Week, is Lazarus Saturday. Indeed, for the entire week before Holy Week, the Church's liturgy makes Lazarus the centre of attention. At Vespers on Monday, we hear, Today the sickness of Lazarus appears to Christ as he walks on the other side of the Jordan. On Tuesday, yesterday and today Lazarus is sick. On Wednesday, today the dead Lazarus is being buried and his relatives weep. On Thursday, for two days now Lazarus has been dead. And finally on Friday, on the morrow Christ comes to raise the dead brother of Martha and Mary. The Orthodox theologian Alexander Schmemann notes that the entire week is spent in the spiritual contemplation of the forthcoming encounter between Christ and death, first in the person of his friend Lazarus, then in Christ's own death. But he goes on to note that the consequence of this remembrance of the resurrection of Lazarus as the prelude to our observance of Holy Week is that our whole observance of Holy Week is suffused with and shaped by our faith in the resurrection, with the assurance of the declaration that Jesus gives life to the dead, we are prepared to enter Holy Week. And it's important to grasp this as we journey through Holy Week, because I think it reveals the fundamental truth at the heart of John's description of the identity of Jesus. The glory of God is revealed in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the Western tradition, for some reasons, theologians are always trying to break the crucifixion and resurrection apart. Think of all those theologies of atonement that focus on the complex transactions affected on Good Friday without hardly a nod in the direction of Easter Day. When I was first ordained as a deacon, I remember having to learn the exalted the Easter song of praise that is sung at the Easter vigil and marks the beginning of our Easter celebration. It takes some practicing, and I remember learning it and singing it again and again during Holy Week, determined to get it right. But I also remember feeling slightly awkward. Surely I should wait until after Good Friday before singing this Easter song of praise. Surely I needed to enter into the depths of the tragedy and dereliction of Good Friday before rushing too quickly to the resurrection. And with the pious intensity of youth, I imagined that what I needed was to ensure that my Holy Week was really grim. And yet, John the Evangelist subverts all that. Life is sometimes grim enough. Jesus wants us to rise up and to become fully alive. He calls us out of the tomb we carry within us. And he teaches us that being fully alive involves embracing the mystery of self-giving love. John's description of the resurrection of Lazarus, right at the beginning of his account of the Passion, reminds us that as we are drawn into the Paschal mystery, we are drawn not simply into some event long ago in the dim and distant past. 
we are brought into an encounter with an eternal reality. The one who was crucified and who has been raised from the dead, Jesus Christ. The one who declares from the very outset, I am the resurrection and the life. For dying and living, he declares God's love and opens the gate of glory. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. For a moment let us wait in silence before the Lord. Let us pray for the church worldwide as it seeks to serve and help all people at this difficult time. For all bishops, clergy, staff and volunteers that in reaching out to those in need, they might be blessed with life, love and energy. Let us pray for governments across the world, for those who advise and those who decide. We ask for strength of mind, wisdom, international cooperation and renewed friendships between nation states. Lord, in your mercy, Hear our prayer. Let us pray for all those whose lives have been cast into darkness through the coronavirus. For those who are suddenly unemployed, who are suddenly very ill or overwhelmed with work. Let us pray for all those whose lives are bound to difficult circumstances through mental illness, disability or poverty that they would be unbound, that they would experience freedom and joy and your steadfast love and redemption. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Let us give thanks for all that you have blessed us with, our families, our friendships, our communities and the creativity you have given us to reach out to each other even as we keep our distance. 
Let us pray for all those who struggle with isolation and for all those whose lives have been forgotten about, all prisoners and refugees unwanted by the rest of the world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Let us give thanks that you do not stand apart from our griefs and fears, that you too wept at Lazarus's death. Give us the grace to turn again to you, that we might believe in your salvation of us, and that we might live in the life of the resurrection. Merciful Father, accept these prayers for the sake of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Let us pray with confidence as our Saviour has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as tis in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. Christ crucified, draw you to himself to find in him a sure ground for faith, a firm support for hope, and the assurance of sins forgiven. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen.